because this is a little different a service, we're doing things in a little different way than we might on a Sunday morning. We're remembering particularly the time in the upper room, a small room, where Jesus and his disciples gathered together for the last supper on the night before he died. And we call this Maundy Thursday, not Monday Thursday. We get that mixed up a lot. Maundy meaning mandate or command. So we're remembering what we've just said in this call to worship that Jesus has said, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So then the question that comes out of that is, how has Christ loved us? If he gives us this new command that we're to love one another, and that love is supposed to be as he has loved us, we need to think about how he has loved us. So in order to do that, uh, we'll be reading through several scriptures. Um, don't worry, these are not four full sermons. Um, we can think of these as waves or perhaps ripples, but the first one will come from First uh, John and chapter 4. First John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. This is God's word. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So in this first wave, as we think about the love of God here, John writes about God's love providing a propitiation. It's not a word that we commonly use. Sometimes it's translated atoning sacrifice. So this uh, unusual word, propitiation or atoning sacrifice, we need to know what that is. A propitiation is the removal of the righteous wrath of God against sinners by way of the death of Jesus. So that Jesus has taken the wrath of God upon himself instead of pouring it out upon us. So, in this sense, the love of God in Jesus is completely unique. He's the only pure and perfect spotless lamb. So his love is something that in this full sense we cannot do. I will not remove sins of other people. However, there is a sense in which we're to follow Jesus in this. Though when others sin against us, that we're to take away the debt that they owe us. This is a sacrifice then. And this is hard because we're in a habit of holding sins against one another. Sometimes we keep them in our own personal file cabinet to pull out when we need them or we wear one of those uh, belts to put the bullets in so that we can use things against people when we need them. We hold are their sins against them? But God's love is not like this. 
God's love covers over sin, not, not in the sense that he puts it under a rug and just covers over it like that, but that he drowns our sin in the ocean of his love. And we want this to be true of us, that our love would cost us, that our love sometimes would require sacrifice of us. Because we know that Christ gave the ultimate sacrifice in the giving of his own life. So, uh, with that, in this first wave, as we think about the sacrificial love of Jesus, take a few moments to just quietly reflect or pray upon the sacrificial love of God. This is your love, a love that sacrifices. Help us to love like you. So we begin, the first drop is the love of sacrifice. Now we'll turn all the way back to the Old Testament in Exodus in chapter 34 for the second wave. This is Exodus 34, beginning in verse 4, this also is the love of God, this is the word of God. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and he took in his hand two tablets of stone, and the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity on the fathers and on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. This is God's word. So in this, there are some encouraging parts and some parts that make the hair on my arm stand up a little bit. And we know because of this that Scripture is not ignorant or naive to sin and its effects. We know that our God 
is not only a God who loves, but he is also a God who is holy, who demands judgment for sin, and rightly so, a judgment that's poured out on Jesus, which would happen tomorrow on the cross. But here also, in the same text, we see God's love. And he talks about his love as abounding, which means he has lots of it. Now, that's really good news for us, because sometimes we think of God as stingy, especially with things like love, things that we might want, that God only loves good people, or that he only loves us when we're doing good, not when we've uh, rebelled against him or made mistakes. We think this because we love like this, that our love is very often like the trickle of a garden hose that's almost barely leaking, that has a kink in it somewhere, and all that comes out is that little dribble. And so we think then that God is like we are, that he withholds his love or that his love is weak or small, but God's love is abounding in steadfast love. His love is like Niagara Falls that you have to put a poncho on just to get close to it because the spray hits you and soaks your clothes. Our God is full of love, even to the point that he loved his own enemies, that he loved the man who betrayed him, and that his love was steadfast and unending. We want this to be true of us also, that we're not stingy with our love, we're selecting with our love, but that even we would learn to love our enemies, and that our love would not be dependent upon our circumstances. This really is the love of Jesus, a man who loved sinners. Take a few moments now to reflect and pray upon the abounding love of God. Lord, this is your love, a love that abounds. Help us to love like you. So if the first wave is the sacrificing love of God and the second is the abounding love of God, now we turn to the prophet Micah in Micah chapter 7. Starting in verse 18, 
He writes, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He doesn't retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us, and he will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast out all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham, as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. This is God's word. So if you've read the book of Micah, it's a pretty heavy book in spots. In it, the Lord's basically calling a day in court and bringing evidence out to highlight the sins of Judah and Samaria, sins that testify against them. So that's the heavy spot, but what we've read here is the end, the last words of the book of Micah, that the Lord will not be angry forever. Why? Because he delights in steadfast love. That's our third ripple now that the Lord's love delights. Sometimes we think that this is God's job, but somehow that's just what he does. He loves people, right? We sing about those things when we're a kid, and somehow it leaks into our mind that way, or we think that God loves because he's supposed to do it like that. But that's not what the scriptures tells us. God says, I love because I delight to love. Uh, he really wants to love. It brings him pleasure to love. And that's good news for us. I eat Brussels sprouts because I'm supposed to. But I eat chocolate because I delight to. God's love is chocolate love. This is something then that he leans forward then for us, even as he's headed toward the cross and in the garden he prays, Lord, if it be your will, would you take this cup from me? He's not naive. He's not skipping his way to the cross. Yay, yay, I love to die. So then why does he do it? It's because he delights in something else more than even his own life. And that's to save his people. We want our love to be like this as well. That we don't just love because we're supposed to, although we are supposed to. He calls us to do that. But we're praying that the Lord would bring us from the duty of love to the delight of love so that it reflects his delighting love. Take a few moments then to think, pray, and reflect upon the delighting love of God.
Lord, this is your love, a love that delights. Help us to love like you. Hear these words from the book of Ephesians, chapter 3. Starting in verse 14, Paul writes this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Here in this final ripple, there are many other ripples other than these, but in this last one here for us tonight, we really see the outcome of God's love to us. What does love do in us? What does it really produce in us? And here Paul says that it roots us. It grounds us. It gives foundation under our feet. Or we could say that God's love brings security. And we know there's a good amount of mystery in God's love. We don't really know why he would love people like us. We know it's not because we deserve it or because he owes us something or because he really has anything to gain for us. His love is not really ultimately based on us at all, but we do know that God does love us and deeply show, deeply so because he shows us his love, that he gave his life for us, that he absorbed the righteous wrath against sin for us, and that he went to the grave for us. But as Jesus descended into the grave while he was there, he planted roots so far deep that when he rose, the tree that sprouts up from that would have roots long and far and wide. And even when that tree faces the strongest storms and bends and warps with the wind, that it will never be uprooted because of the roots of his love for us. God's love really secures, and that gives us a great amount of freedom then, a great amount of rest. So take a few moments then in this last ripple to think, to reflect, to pray, particularly upon the securing love of God.
Lord, this is your love, a love that secures. Help us to love like you. In response to this, then the choir will sing, the song is, What Wondrous Love Is This? And that's not a question. The writer's not asking, what love is this? There's an exclamation point at the end of that sentence. What wondrous love is this? Uh, so now, here from our choir. <laughs> 